Welcome to this message from Journey Church. Our hope is that you'd encounter God and His purpose for your journey. Be sure to visit us online at www.journeykc.com. Last, uh, last weekend, Todd talked about having joy in trials. And, and when I think about that, and you, you know how certain people come to your mind when you think, okay, who do I know that's been through all sorts of trials but still has maintained joy? And the first name that comes to my mind is... Uh, Ah, maybe not first, probably second one. First one would be Lisa's grandmother. And the second one is this lady in our church, Jean Palfrey. Jean, some of you guys know her. She's been here from the start, just has been through some unimaginable things in her life. I'll just leave it at that. I had the privilege, though, yesterday of doing her wedding. And um, it was so cool. Um, Gosh, there's so much to say about it. It was right here in this room. I only do like one wedding a year. I mean, one or two weddings a year, just, just time-wise. But I just really needed to do this one. Um, it was so special because, okay, Jean has a daughter who is 28, but she is mentally uh, disabled, and so she has the mind of a six-year-old. And she was the flower girl, okay? And... And but this, you know, Jean, who's always been filled with so much joy, I've seen her the last 18 months. She's just been beaming because this guy that's come into her life, and uh, and she was telling me, you know, during the the counseling as we were getting ready for the the, the wedding, she was saying how, you know, I, I looked at him and I'm like, are you sure? Are you sure? Me? I mean, look at me. I'm old. Look at all of my wrinkles. And and she says, and then he looks at me and goes, no, those are like dimples to me. You know, and just goes, you're beautiful. And she, you know, she just goes, I can't believe he just keeps telling me how beautiful, how beautiful I am. And then, then I'm like, well, are you sure? I mean, my daughter, I mean, you don't want to take all of this on. This is difficult. But here's, here's the clincher. Okay, so we're doing the ceremony and, and everything is so beautiful, so wonderful, so perfect. And then, you know, in the middle of the ceremony, as a surprise to everyone, you know, I announced that after the giving of the rings and vows and everything else, I go, hey, and Rick uh, this morning also has bought a ring for April, Jean's daughter, because he wants her to know that he is taking her as his very own. And you guys, she's standing down here, and the moment I said this, she screams, runs up the stage crying. I mean, picture this. A six-year-old in a 28-year-old body just screaming, hugging him, going, I love you, 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 I love you. His tears are coming down her face. I love you. Just crying and screaming and everyone, everyone's bawling. <laughs> and I confess, I cried. First time ever in a wedding, I just lost it. Because it was like, no way, you know, I mean, just, just her emotions, she just couldn't even control, it's like she could not believe that he was making a commitment to her, and then, you know, and then he places this ring on her finger, and oh, the whole place was just bawling, and I just had to stop the whole ceremony, because I said, do you guys understand what just took place here? I said, I don't think you will ever see a more clear picture of this book than what you just saw here. The Bible says 
that God looks at us as His bride. His bride. I, I said, so you, you understand, like Rick is taking Gene, and Gene's going, man, are you sure you want me? And he's going, are you kidding? You're beautiful. I mean, that's the picture of us, right? Where we're looking at ourselves and go, God, do you understand what a mess I've made in my life? Do you understand all the things I've done? And he's going, no, I want you. The Bible uses those terms as my bride. That's what the Bible teaches. He wants us as his bride. But not only that, the Bible also uses another analogy, and it says that he's a father to the fatherless, and how he adopts us as his children. And you and I should be like April this morning going, are you kidding me? No way! I love you! I love you! I love you! I love you! I can't believe you're adopting me. You're taking me as your child. Man, do you come here with that type of emotion, with that type of joy, with that type of awe where you wake up in the morning and go, God, I cannot believe this. You love me. I'm your bride. I'm your child. You're adopting me. You're placing the ring on my finger for better, for worse. We should be in awe. I sure hope you don't come here this morning saying, God, look what I'm doing for you. I'm showing up to church. But this morning you're just in awe going, God, I cannot believe you would take me in. I can't believe it. I tell you, that, that, that wedding, man, I just lost it because I just, I just thought there's no better picture because everyone's, not everyone, so many people have this book all wrong, right? They, they think it's just a list of rules, a bunch of do's or don'ts. You know, I, I, they think it's religion. You know, religion is, is somehow some system of works where you earn your way into God's graces. And I'm just going, oh, how disgusting. That has never been God. Understand, this has always been about a relationship. It's always been about love. And so if you came here this morning seeking religion, you came to the wrong building. Okay? Because this is not religion. This is the most romantic love story you will ever read in your life. It's about a creator who is so filled with love that he points to you and says, I, I want you. Don't you understand? I want to stick a ring on, on your finger. And I, I want to take you as my bride. I want to take you as my children. I'm crazy about you. And from the very start, it's been about a love relationship with God. God's greatest command is love me. It's not do this, do that. His greatest command in this book is love me with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, everything that's in you, all the passion you just directed toward me. And let's just be in love. Let's just be in love. That's it. That's it. And don't turn it into anything else. Don't turn this into anything else. All right. Let's just start off and pray this morning. Oh, Father God, we are amazed and in awe, Lord God, of your love for us. And Lord, we know that your love is infinite, is eternal, is unending, is unchanging. There's nothing that can change it. There's nothing that can separate us from it. And Lord, I know that, no, that every person in this room, no matter what level of understanding we have of your love, there's more. There's nobody here that has found the end of your love. And so, Father, I pray that today by your Holy Spirit that you would open our hearts up 
and pour into us a deeper revelation, a deeper understanding of your love. Help us, Lord God, in a supernatural way to grasp more of your love than we have before. Lord, we know you give us love, but we want to receive it. And so, Father, we come now with open minds. Lord, give us ears to hear, to receive what your word says about the way that you love us, because we want to be changed by it. We want to be made new in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. All right, well, uh, Pastor Sean asked me to speak today, and uh, so I'm the Aaron Poor, the associate pastor here. If you're with us for the first time, again, we welcome you. And I want to let you know before I say any more words um, that I'm not the senior pastor, I'm the associate pastor. So if you like what I have to say today, it just gets better from here because uh, he's a way better speaker than I am. But I do think that God's given me something to say today. And uh, actually, God's been speaking to me about something for the last two years about his love. And you know, I've been following God for a long time, for decades. And just when I think that I've understood something, I find out that it goes so much deeper. And I find out that there's so much more. And the more I know of God, the more I realize there's so much more of God that I don't know. And this idea of God's love is something that's been stirring in me. And in the last couple months, it's like the Holy Spirit's come and given me even more of a focus on God's love and needing to understand that and to see how that applies to my life. And so I think there's something that God wants to say today to you. Um, God's love is like something that is so critical and so key to you being able to effectively walk with him that if you don't have that understanding, it can really hinder you and it can even disable you. And, you know, I was mentioning in the first service, uh, Ben and Lydia were in here in uh, Phillips, and, and I was mentioning how years back I worked for Ben for a little while, building houses. And, and I'm not, by any stretch of the imagination, a skilled carpenter at all. Uh, you won't want me to build your house. I can carry the lumber. But I do know this, that to build a house, you have to have a solid, firm foundation. I know there were days that we would, uh, Ben would have different uh, houses that, that he was supposed to build, and we would drive around and see if the foundation was ready. And if the foundation was ready, we could unload and start working. But if the foundation wasn't ready, then we had to go on and go somewhere else. And uh, this idea of the love of God is so foundational to your walk with God that if you don't have a firm understanding of it, it's really difficult for you to be able to build beyond that. So there may be things that you have struggled with, things that, uh, that you've wanted to understand more, things that breakthroughs in areas that you've wanted uh, and asked God for, things that you've prayed for that you haven't had an answer to. And one of the things that God showed me is the answer is not necessarily to seek more and more and more information about that one specific thing. The answer many times is to understand how God's love works. And I never saw the connection until recently. 
And now that I've seen it, it's like a light came on. And so we're going to look at this today. And one of the key things that you have to understand is this, that there is nothing you can do to make God love you anymore. There's nothing you can do to make God love you anymore than he already does. There's no amount of prayer. There's no amount of good works. There's no amount of Bible reading, devotions. You can help a, an elderly lady across the street, and you might get a merit badge, but you're not going to get God to love you anymore. There isn't even any amount of worship that you can do that will cause him to love you more than he does right now. God loves all that stuff and, and is pleased when you do those things. But it doesn't change how much he loves you because, and here's the, the key point, God's love cannot be earned. It can't be earned. And, the, and another thing that we have to understand is that there's nothing you can do to make God love you any less. Okay, so we understand that there's nothing that we can do to make God love us more. But there's also nothing that we can do to make God love us any less. And I think that more people struggle with this idea than with the first idea. Because, yeah, I can kind of understand, okay, God loves me so much, and I can't earn his love, and I get that. But there's this maybe root of guilt or condemnation or religious thinking or something that somehow got into our minds that there are, there are things that if I do this thing or if I don't do this other thing that I'm supposed to be doing, that somehow God will just, he's just not going to love me as much. But that's not true. There's nothing you can do to turn God's love away from you. So what I'm saying is that God's love cannot be earned, and God's love cannot be turned. Because God loves you, it's not just what he does, it's who he is. It's his nature. And God's love for you can't be changed by the things that you do or the things that you don't do. But like I said, people struggle and they have great difficulty believing that their actions have not somehow affected God's love for them. And what that really comes down to is a wrong perspective. And uh, when I was thinking about this this week and kind of just meditating on these things, it got me to thinking about the story of the prodigal son in the, in the Bible. And I'm sure you've probably heard that, but if you haven't heard that uh, in a nutshell, the prodigal son, you know, he's living in his father's house. This is a story that Jesus told his disciples to kind of help explain how the kingdom of God works. And so the prodigal son, he's living in his father's house. He's got everything he needs. His father's well off. They're successful. They don't have any needs. They don't have any worries. But he still, even though he's got what he needs in the father's house, he looks out, he sees the world, and he thinks about some of the, the pleasures and the experiences that's out in the world, and he decides he wants to experience those things. And so he asks for his inheritance, demands it, and his father gives it to him. And then when he's wasted all of his inheritance and blown it all on, on uh, cheap thrills and pleasure, he's at the bottom of his rope, and he's at his lowest low, and he realizes that the situation he's in, he's living with pigs, and he's eating pig's food. 
and he's starving. And he realizes that his situation is so low that he could go back to his father's house. And if he could just get hired as a servant, that would be better than his current situation. Now, he, he also realizes that what he's done has, has caused him to lose the right to really be his father's son. That's what he believes. He's that he has forfeited his place in his father's house, and he can't go back and ask his father to reinstate him and to restore him as his son, but he could maybe just go and be a servant. And so I want to actually read a little bit of this directly from the Bible, because I think it's probably the Bible says it better than I do. Luke chapter 15, verse 17, it says, But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So right there, that is the son's perspective. That's how the son sees himself. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he does this. He goes to his father And he expects his father to belittle him and berate him and say, yeah, you did. You blew it. You wasted all that money, and now you come back to me. And so, yeah, you be one of my servants, and you live with the servants and all. But that's not what happens. When he comes back, the father is overjoyed, and the father puts the best robe on him and puts a ring on his finger and puts shoes on his feet. And let's see what that says in verse 20. It says, and he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. There's the son's perspective. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf here, kill it, let us eat and be merry. For this was my son was dead and is alive again. He's lost and he's found. The things that the father did to the son are significant and meaningful because they represent the son's place in his father's house. And it, and it shows how in the father's eyes that the son had never lost his place. Do you see the significance there? So the robe and the ring and the sandals, each one of those things has a specific meaning. And I don't want to take time to get into that. But the, the, the bottom line is, is that the father is saying, this is my son. The son is saying, I'm no longer worthy to be your son. And the father is saying, this is my son. And that's why we need to learn to see ourselves the way God sees us. Because the way we see ourselves uh, is faulty. We've got to begin to see ourselves as God sees us. Learn to walk in God's perception of who you are because yours is not good enough. That's the truth. Let me tell you this quote right here. It says, grace is the power of God that enables you to become what he sees when he looks at you. Let me say it one more time. Grace is the power of God that enables you to become what he sees when he looks at you. Because for most people, there's a big difference between what God sees when he looks at you and what you see when you look at yourself. 
But we've got to learn to live in God's view of who we are. We've got to see ourselves the way God sees us. God isn't worried about your mistakes. He's not worried about your failures. The Bible says God never sleeps. But if he did sleep, he wouldn't be staying up at night worrying about the last time you blew it. He's not worried about it. Uh, God's love can't be shaken up by something you've done. And nothing can separate us from his love. Now, that's straight out of the Bible. That's out of Romans chapter 8. This whole last part of that uh, chapter talks about how nothing can separate us from God's love. Um, And I want to read that to you, just a little excerpt of that. But I want to read it out of the message translation. I think it just puts it in a slightly different uh, light. So let me read this to you. It's just starting in, it's chapter 8, starting in verse 31. It says, so what do you think? With God on our side like this, how can we lose? If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? And who would dare tangle with God by messing with one of God's chosen? Who would even dare to point a finger? The one who died for us, who was raised to life for us, is in the presence of God at this very moment, sticking up for us. Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There is no way. Not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in Scripture can separate us from God's love. Now that right there should be enough. That should be enough to settle every argument, to stop every debate about whether or not God loves you. Because remember, I mean, we've all kind of agreed here. We could say God loves everyone. The problem is really believing the idea that God loves me. But even with everything that I just read, A lot of people still struggle with believing the fact that God loves them. And um, I think the reason that a lot of people doubt and question God's love is because they have put conditions on it. How many of you, and I don't want you to raise your hand, please. I'm just asking you, thinking yourself, you know. How many of you have ever thought to yourself, If God loves me, then why didn't this happen? If God loves me, then why didn't he answer that prayer? If God loves me, then why is this thing going on over here? Why didn't I receive this? Why didn't this happen? And you see, when you do that, you're basically saying, if God loves me, why doesn't he do what I say? Now, you could say, oh, no, 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 that's not my heart. That's not my attitude to to tell God what to do. I just want to know why he's not doing what I want him to do. (laughs) So another way you could say this is we we would be saying to the Lord, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now, that sounds harsh. And that sounds like something that no one would ever, ever say. But don't we kind of say that? If God loves me, then why? 
Really, if there's any statement you're going to make that starts off with, if God loves me, you're kind of in trouble with whatever follows. And so this thing of, if you love me, keep my commandments, is actually in Scripture, but it's the other way around. In John 14, 15, Jesus says those words, if you love me, keep my commandments. And um, just in case it goes over his disciples' head, he says it again in verse 21. He says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. So the way we demonstrate our love to God is by following him, by doing his commandments, by doing his will, by having a heart that serves, by having a desire to love him. Because the greatest commandment, Jesus said, the greatest commandment in all of the law is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength. And that's our part. That's, that's how we demonstrate our love to God, by having a heart that desires to serve him and to do what he says in love. But we're not talking about our love today. We're talking about God's love. So how does God demonstrate his love towards us? Well, you, don't, you can just almost randomly open the Bible and answer that question because it's full of the answer to that question. But I want to show you a couple verses uh, just real quickly to kind of demonstrate that. Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There's the answer. John 3.16, you all know that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever would believe on him will not perish but have everlasting life. And then Ephesians 2, starting in verse 4, it says this, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show you the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So the way God loves us is by sending us Jesus. And I know that Maybe the first reaction to that is, yeah, he, he loves us because he saved us from our sin and we don't have to go to hell. And yeah, salvation is obviously a major, major component to God's love for us. But that's not all. Because in Jesus, we have peace. In Jesus, we have righteousness. In Jesus, we have joy. In Jesus, we have victory. In Jesus, we have love. In Jesus, we have everything, now and forever. And so God loves us by giving us his son. And through the blood of Jesus, we have everything we could ever want or need. That's how God demonstrates his love towards us. And knowing that is important, but receiving it is the final key. Because you can know that God loves you and still not receive his love. You know, Sarah and I here have been married for almost 20 years, and that works, and it works well. 
Because I love her, and she receives it, and she loves me, and I receive that love. And we are happily married man and wife. But love can be given and received. How many of you heard the phrase, it takes two to tango, right? Nobody's heard that phrase. Okay. You know what I'm saying, though. And so we can know that God loves us and still not receive his love. But if we can learn how to receive his love, then we'll have the peace, the joy, the healing, the provision, the favor, the access to his plan for our life, the ability to to build his kingdom. But God's love for us doesn't get better when we get better. You know what I mean? His, His love for us doesn't change. And even if you don't have any plans to get better, he still loves you 100%. He loves you all the way, all the time. And so what changes is not his love. Our ability to receive his love is what changes. And so if the ability to receive God's love gets us all those things, then by the the contrast of that is also true. The inability to receive God's love cripples us and disables us and blocks our ability to receive the strength and the power and and the grace that we need to do his will. Remember, earlier I talked about how grace is the power of God that enables you to, to be the person that he sees you as. In other words, grace is that power from God to be who you were called to be. And I want to take just a minute here real quick and and talk about how things work according to what the Bible says. Um, These kinds of things are interesting to me, and I hope I can make it interesting to you too. Um, But if grace is that power to do what God has called us to do, all those things wrapped up in this idea of grace, then faith is the way that we receive grace that grace. Faith is our access to grace. And I can prove that to you. Um, Romans 5.2 says, through him we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So we have access by faith into grace. And then Ephesians 2.8, you've heard this before, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Now, you haven't been saved by faith, you've been saved by grace, but by grace through faith. So if grace is that power of God to make you who you're supposed to be, and faith is the access to it, think of faith as almost like a pipeline, then what happens when you allow fear to come in to the process? Fear shrinks faith, that access to grace, and cuts off our access to grace. And there's a perfect example of that in the Bible. When, when uh, the disciples are out on the boat, and it's late at night, and it's a stormy night, and they're struggling to get to the opposite shore, kind of imagine yourself in that situation. I, I, I wouldn't like it. And then in the middle of all that, somebody looks out, and they see this guy walking across the sea. 
And, you know, keep in mind, Jesus has never done this before, at least not that the Bible ever says. So they're freaking out now, right? What in the world is that? And so somebody says, it's a ghost. And then Jesus is like, take it easy, it's me. I'm, I just happen to be walking on the sea. And Peter, who's really thinking outside of the box at this point, starts to begin this process of accessing grace through faith by, do, by doing what he does next. Because remember, the Bible says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so Peter says, Lord, if it's you, then bid me come to you on the sea. So Peter is looking for the word of God. He's looking to hear the word of God. And when that happens, faith will be sparked and he'll be able to to act on that faith. And so Jesus says, okay, come. And then when, when, when Peter gets the word of God, then he steps out of the boat and he's doing it. It's actually, uh, let me read it to you. Uh, that's Matthew 14, 28. He says, in verse 28, it says, Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. So Jesus said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Now there, there's the grace. It's happening. That's the power of God. Okay? Uh, uh, Peter is not walking on the water in his own power. Can everybody agree with that? This is a miracle. This is supernatural. And so Peter is acting on his faith. He's walking on the water. And then verse 30. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, here it is, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? So here's what happened. Peter has faith rise up because he hears the word of the Lord. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word. Jesus says, come. Peter responds in faith, takes a step of faith, literally steps out of the boat. The grace of God, remember that power that enables us, is in effect, and Peter is walking on the water. But then Peter takes his eyes off Jesus, starts looking at the waves, and when he looks at the waves, fear comes knocking on the door, and Peter foolishly lets fear in. And once fear enters, it cripples his faith, cuts off the access to grace, and Peter begins to sink. And that's the way Jesus responds. Jesus says, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? So if fear has that effect on our faith, that it cuts off that access to the power of God and to the grace of God, what do we need to do to remove the fear? Okay, now we're talking about the love of God today. So now let's bring it back in to the main context. Uh, The love of God is important and foundational just in the way, in the same way that fear is important and foundational. Okay? Because if the love of God is a foundation for all these other good things that God has for you, for his plan for your life, for joy, for peace, for provision, for healing, for victory, for service, his mission for your life, then fear is the foundation 
for anxiety, for stress, for hatred, for doubt, for unbelief. It's the foundation for those things. And when the, God, and the, when the love of God confronts fear, the love of God always wins, every time. So that goes back to some of the things I told you that I was praying about. God, help me with this, help me with that. And God showed me, you need to understand my love. And these other things will work out. What I want to do now, I'm kind of wrapping up, coming in for a landing. I want to, I want to look at 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 9. And this is going to be, in the Bible, this is the key. This is the one thing, if you, the, you know, the, if you had to remember one thing that I said today, this is it, okay? Starting in verse 9, it says, In this the love of God was manifest toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Jump down to verse 16. Verse 16 says, And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. That's really important. Because you all know the love of God. I just talked to you about it. But the, the Bible says that we are to know and believe. It's not enough just to know. So there's two steps. We have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Now, look at verse 18. Here's the, the clincher. Verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love casts out fear. One more time, perfect love casts out fear. What is perfect love? Is it my love for my kids? No. That's, that's powerful love, but it's not perfect. Is it my love for my wife? No. That's powerful love. I love her more than any of you, but it's not perfect is it my love for God? I wish it was, but it's not. And that's because I'm not perfect. I haven't been perfected. My love is not perfect. Perfect love is God's love for me. Perfect love is God's love for me. Perfect love is God's love for you. And perfect love casts out all fear. Not some fear, all fear. And if fear is the foundation for worry, stress, anxiety, in some cases sickness, hatred, anger, strife, how'd you like to get rid of all of that stuff? Perfect love casts out fear. And so if the answer is receiving God's perfect love, how do you do that? Well, I'd love to give you a 10-step process that was a foolproof way of doing that, but I don't have that. You just sit down 
and meditate on God's love. Take time. Spend time with him. Get out your Bible. Find 10 verses. Write them down. Say them out loud. Sit down and think about his love. Pray. Tell God, teach me about your love. Give me a deeper revelation. In other words, you take the step to learn. Remember it says, we knew and believed the love that God has for us. And I believe, and I absolutely am 100% convinced, that if you could get a greater understanding of God's love for you, it will break chains in your life. It'll bring you to a higher level of knowing him, serving him, building his kingdom, walking in victory, and enjoying your life. Because God loves you. This is the last thing I want to say. You know, when, when I was thinking about when Pastor Sean asked me to speak, This song came into my mind from a long time ago. And those of you who have gone to church for a long time, or you may have, when you were kids, when you were in Sunday school, heard songs like, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. But that's not the song that I was thinking about. The song I was thinking about was, Jesus loves me this I know. And as much as we talk the talk, there can be a hardness in our heart that keeps us from receiving his love. And so my prayer today is that God will soften your heart and will show you his love in a deeper way than you've ever known. And so as we close up, I just want to pray. We're going to worship one more time. But um, let's pray. Just close your eyes right now. Open yourself up to the Spirit of God. Father God, we are just blown away by the way you love us. Because we know that as awesome as it is, as incredible and earth-shattering as your love is, and and the way that we understand it now, as, as much as it has us in awe, that it's just a mere whisper of the real depth and power of your love. We haven't even scratched the surface of how much you love us. We barely understand how much you love us. And even the little bit that we understand knocks us off our feet. But God, we say we want more. Lord, we say we want to understand an even deeper how much you love us. We want it to change the way we think. We want to see ourselves the way you see us. We want, to rem- we want to know every day that there's nothing we can do that causes you to love us more, nothing we can do to- that causes you to love us less. And we want all fear to be cast out. We want all stress, all worry, all anxiety to dissolve and melt away as your perfect love flows into our life and into our heart and into our mind, into our thoughts. And so we just invite you to do that. We ask you to do it. We open ourselves up to it right now in the name of Jesus. And God, we just give you all the praise, all the glory. Let's praise him one more time. Praise you, God. Bless you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. And let's stand up one more time.
Let's worship him once more before we leave today. Thanks for coming out today. I want to tell you next Sunday is a very special day, very important day. We're celebrating 10 years here at Journey Church. So you got to come back next Sunday, bring a friend or a neighbor. Uh, we're going to have a really good time. It's going to be a special service. Thanks. Go with God. You are dismissed. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. For more information about Journey Church or to browse our media library, visit us online at journeykc.com.